Open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter number 15. If you don't have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, we'll have the scriptures on the screen. You can follow along with us. Today I want to conclude the series that we've called On Trial. On Trial. Your faith being tried by different kinds of trials. Jesus said in this world, you're going to have trials, tribulations, challenges. But Jesus said, cheer up, I've overcome the world. I'll show you how to have victory over every trial that comes your way. And in this series, we've talked about five or six different kinds of trials that come our way. There may be a few more, but we've covered most of the major trials. And out of this series, we've talked about the fact that the type of trial you're going through determines how you respond to that trial. Knowing where it's come from and why it's coming your way helps you navigate that trial. In the first week, we shared seven things about trials. Trials are temporary. They're like tunnels. You go in one end, you go out the other. If you navigate it properly, you can speed up your process through the trial. Number two, we talked about the fact that trials create heaviness. They mess with our emotions and they tend to confuse us. Number three, we should approach trials with joy, not with distress. Number four, we should approach trials with patience, not agitation. Number five, trials are a test. And my faith is being tested when I go through a trial. Number six, trials demand wisdom. James said, if you lack wisdom, if you don't know what, what kind of trial you're going through, ask God. But ask in faith, being ready to do what he shows you to do. And God will walk you through that trial. And then number seven, we talked about the fact that God will not abandon us in times of trial. He's always going to be there. Now, in this series, we talked about the trial of discouragement. When things don't go the way you plan, when things don't work out right, when, when you kind of get down and your emotions get really turned upside down because life just isn't going the way you thought it was supposed to go, the enemy tends to come in and just pour more coal on the fire and more fuel on the fire, trying to get you to give up and just, just quit. But we talked about how you deal with discouragement. Then we talked about the trial of consequence. The trial of consequence doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from the devil. It's my poor choices and bad decisions that put me in a fix. And the best thing I can do is own up to it, take ownership of it, ask God to forgive me and help me, and he will walk me out of that trial. That's the trial of consequence. Then we talked about the trial of temptation. Everybody knows about temptation. We think that temptation comes when the devil just pulls us aside and starts throwing all these things in front of us that entice us. Well, that's partly true. The truth of the matter is we're tempted when we're drawn away by our own lusts, our own fallen nature, things that we want that are not right for us and aren't good for us. And then the enemy uses that to bring us to a place of temptation and traps and snares. And then last week we talked about the trial of sifting. Jesus told Peter, Satan has, has desired to have you and sift you like wheat. Shake you and shake you and shake you to see what you are really made of and what you really believe. But Jesus said, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail. We've talked about all these trials. Today I want to finish the series. I want to talk to you today about the trial of purging. Purging or pruning. And I'm going to tell you, late last night, early this morning, I got such a, a witness inside of me 
There are some people here today who desperately need to hear what God's going to say in the next 30 minutes or so. There are some people here that God is going to help you understand what he's trying to do in your life if you'll hear what he says today. So before we get into the word, let's just take a minute and pray, okay? Father, right now we just lay the word of God before you and we ask that you would speak to us today. Every one of us, God, speak to me. Show me what I need to understand for my life. God, help me to understand how this purging works in my life and what it is that's, that's going on and how I deal with it. Give us understanding that we can grow in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today I want to ask and answer three basic questions from Scripture. So let's get started. Number one, what is purging? What is purging? What is it all about? Look at John 15, verse number one. We're going to read the parable of the vine that Jesus gave us. John 15, verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes or he purges that it may bear more fruit. Pause here just a moment. Purging pruning it's taking something away that we don't need for the future verse number three jesus says you are already clean because of the word which i've spoken to you in other words you are already in a place where you can bear fruit verse four abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I love that verse. A lot of Christians quote it, but they don't know the context of it and where it comes from. Verse number eight, but this, or by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. I love this parable, this passage of Scripture, and I want to run through it quickly this morning to set up what God's really put in my heart. But the question is, what is purging? In order to explain this, Jesus gave us a parable, and this parable is really about relationship. You hear me say it over and over and over and over again. Christianity is not about religion. It's not about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. It's about being in relationship with God and allowing his life to shape our lives. That's what Christianity is. It's about relationship. This parable is a picture of relationship. And real quickly, in this parable, Jesus gave us four main things. He said there's a vine dresser. There's a property manager, or if you will, a property owner. And since we live here in wine country, let's use wine country and our surroundings as a great example. If you go out into wine country, you see miles and miles and miles of vineyards. And this is really what Jesus is probably using for an illustration here. He says, you will see vines that are growing up out of the ground, and then they turn into branches that are attached to the vine. Branches grow out of the main vine. 
And then Jesus said, not only is there a vine dresser who takes care of the property and the vines, but you have the branches that extend from the vine. And then the last thing he says, at the end of those branches, it is the desire of God that those plants, those branches connected to the vine bear fruit. Now, I'm going to get to fruit in just a few minutes. But Jesus gives us this picture. It was very common in those days to see grapevines, to see the vine, the branches, to see the man who owned the property or who worked and managed the property working there in the vineyard all throughout the year in the different seasons, managing the vineyard. Jesus talked about this. But here's what he said. He says, God is the vine dresser. He's the one who is managing our lives and our futures. He said, Jesus is the vine that comes up out of the ground that distributes life to everything attached to it. But then he said, you and I are branches. You and I are branches that grow out of the vine. Turn to somebody, look them in the eye and say, you are a branch. You may think you're the vine, but you're not. You are a branch. We are branches. And here's God's goal for our lives. It is the will and the goal and the desire of God that you and I would bear fruit. That's the whole idea. That God's nature would begin to show up in our lives. That the working of God's Holy Spirit would be evident in our lives. And let me just share a few thoughts here. Branches are extensions of the vine. The vine comes up out of the ground. It pulls the water and the nutrients out of the ground, and it distributes it to the branches, not just to keep the branches alive, but that the branches could have a function, and the function is to bear fruit. Why does God want to pour life into you? Well, in part, it's to save you, to make you like him, but also he wants to, to produce fruit in your life that people see his nature and his power working in you and through you. That's what God's trying to do. So we need to learn how to cooperate with God's process. So Jesus says to us, stay connected to God. Stay connected to God. Branches, stay in the vine. What he literally said was, abide in me. Live in me. Always. It's not just on Sundays. It's not one Sunday a month or two Sundays a month. But every day of your life, stay connected. Stay in relationship with me. Jesus said, if you'll stay in relationship with me, you will begin to produce fruit. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you will produce much fruit, a lot of fruit. See, I think what Jesus was trying to get across to them and to us today is God can do more in you and through you than you realize if you'll just stay connected to him. You think you know what God can do? You haven't begun to even understand it yet. God can do more if you will just stay in relationship with him. And the branches will produce the same thing that the vine produces. So whatever the vine is, the branches should become an extension of that. But Jesus also said, if we do not abide in him, we will bear no fruit. See, I, I, sometimes, you know, I run into people, you know, I heard about a story recently. You run into people and, and they say, yeah, you know, I've been around Christians. You know, Christians are all a bunch of phonies. They're no different than anybody else. They live just like everybody else. They're just a bunch of phonies, a bunch of hypocrites. Well, 
I don't think that's true as a whole. But there are some Christians who are not really abiding in Christ. And as a result, you don't see a lot of God's nature in them. And it, it tends to give Christianity a bad name. Jesus said, if you don't abide in me, if you don't stay in relationship with me, you cannot bear fruit. And literally what he said was, without me, you can do nothing. He wasn't saying you don't have any ability in yourself. He was saying you can't produce the nature of God by yourself. Without me, it's impossible. You can't do it. You can try to act like it. You can try to say I'm this and that and the other. But if you're not in relationship with me, letting my energy and strength and life flow into you, changing you from the inside out, all you're doing is yakking and everybody sees you're not telling the truth. Unless you stay connected, you can do nothing. But he said, if you abide in me, it opens the door to this life and this lifestyle where you begin to pray and ask for things and God begins to answer your prayers. Why? Because you're understanding God, you're understanding his life, you're understanding his plans for your life, and you're asking for things that fit into that big picture. And he said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you will and it'll be done for you. It leads to a life where God is always getting more and more involved in what's going on. If we'll stay connected with Jesus. Stay connected. And then one more thing he said about this. Jesus said God is glorified when you and I bear fruit. Do you know my daily life can glorify God if his nature is coming out of me, if his power is working through me? It brings glory to God. Now, having said all of this, I want to come to the end of this story because this sets up what I want to talk to you about today. Notice how God, the vine dresser, notice how God handles the branches. Notice how he deals with them. First of all, it says, if a branch does not bear fruit, he removes it. Some translations say he lifts them up, and in time he lifts them away. He sets them aside, and if, if they don't get connected over time, they wither and dry up. And he said, then down the road, they come along and gather them and they, and they burn them. Now, please, I'm not trying to make some big picture theological statement today, but notice what he's saying. He's saying, if we're not connected to God bearing fruit, then we're really not a part of what the vine is. And we're not good for anything except being moved out of the way and set aside. But then he said, if a branch does bear fruit what does he do he prunes it he purges it he begins to work with the future in mind everybody say future he begins to work in my life looking down the road for all the things that he wants to do it's interesting purging is the work of god Purging is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of God's Word. Purging is something God is continually trying to do in our lives progressively, season after season, year after year. God is purging at work in our lives. But God can only do it with our cooperation. And we need to learn how to cooperate with God's purging process. Purging is a sign of God saying, well done, I'm proud of you. You have produced fruit. Now, 
Let's cut some things back and let's remove some things that are distracting you, that are slowing you down. Because next year, you're going to produce even more fruit. Not a negative thing. It's very much a positive thing. So now we see what purging is, what pruning is. Number two, why, why does God want to purge us? Why does he need our cooperation to prune us and, and, and to shape our lives in the future? Why is that? Let me give you two specific answers right from Scripture. We just read it a few moments ago. John 15, the last part of verse 2 says this. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God purges us so that we in the future become more valuable, more productive, than what we have been in the past. God purges us so we can bear more fruit. Did you know that God just might have bigger plans for you than you have for yourself? Did you know that? You know, I say it all the time. God has better plans for you than you have for yourself. Some of you get tired of hearing that, but I'm going to say it over and over again until everybody who walks through these doors understands it. God sees more in you than you see in yourself. God believes in you more than anybody else believes in you. But he knows why he created you. He knows what he created you for. And he's always at work trying to purge things out of our lives that are going to prevent us from becoming everything he created us to be. Young people, hear me today. God has a plan for your life. You don't just wander around the dark and hope you stumble into it. You don't just, well, someday I'm just going to, well, I'm going to school for a while and I'm going to get married and have kids and hopefully something good comes out of it. No, God has a, a very distinct plan for your life. But you need to learn when you're young to submit to it and let him begin to work. Because one of the things that God does is when you bear a harvest and he says, wow, look at the fruit, that's awesome. The next thing he does is he starts pruning you, preparing you for more for the future. Some of you young people need to know right now, God has bigger plans for you than you have for yourself. Get ready for them. When I was a teenager, I had a plan for my life. I've told the story before, so I'll do it in short order for those of you who've heard it. You know, my, my mom's side of the family was very musical. All of them played instruments and sang, and they all played in church. Some were professional musicians. And... I grew up around musical instruments, around singers my whole life. Music was in me. I heard parts and harmonies and things. And from the time I was a little kid, I was in church singing. It, it was just second nature to me. When I became a teenager, you know, school issues and school choirs and things, I always wound up out front singing because God had given me a talent. And so I just kind of figured, man, this comes easy. I enjoy doing this. This is what I'm going to do with my life. When I was in high school, I started traveling with a, a men's gospel group singing gospel music i got out of high school i went to nashville tennessee because that's where the future was and that's where the opportunities were i went there doors began to open for me but after i was there a few weeks i realized man this is not this is not what god has for me and i went through a real time of disappointment because i wanted to do that so badly but i knew this this is not it this is not going to make me happy so i came back home and i'll never remember on a tuesday night I went to church. They had a special revival services. How many can remember when they had days of revivals? Remember that? And they had church like seven nights a week. It was one of those weeks. I went to church on a Tuesday night. I just got home from Nashville. I went down at the end of service, knelt down in a corner by myself and said, God, I don't know what it is, but I know what it's not. I can do that, but 
I don't feel like that's what you want me to do, but whatever you want me to do, I'm in. I lay it all down for your purposes. Within a week, I knew exactly what God had called me to do. He began to put it in my heart. But what I didn't know was, as soon as he dropped it in my heart and I was ready to pursue it, he began to purge things out of my life. You know this right here? You need to turn loose of it. It's too important. You know this over here? You don't need that. You know this buddy right here that always pulls you over there, that direction? You need to be his friend, but you need to start slowing down. And if you can't control the situation, you need to back away from him. Things began to happen. God began to check me. I began to realize I can't go there, I can't go there because God is calling me in this direction. He began to purge my life. Several months later, he opened a door for me to go into full-time ministry. I had to leave Southern California and go to Southern Oklahoma. How many of you know that when God sends you out in the ministry to start with, he usually sends you to a place of trial. Southern Oklahoma is a good place to do it. And I gladly went, but I had this, and this was like 1975, whoo, I was like four, <laughs> 1975, to go to Oklahoma and do what God had called me, I had to sell my 71 Corvette, which I was so proud of, I was like, oh. it was something that had to be purged for the future, for where God had called me. But what I found out was every time God purged something out of my life, it opened the door to more of God being involved in my life. The purging, I learned, was a good thing. But we often view our potential based on our individual abilities. And we think, well, I can do this much. But God looks at us and he views our potential based on our ability with his involvement and his ability working in us, which multiplies the thing like a hundred times. And if I say no to God and I say, no, I won't go there. No, I won't let turn loose of that. No, I won't let you remove that. What happens is it slows down my growth and it slows down my effectiveness of what God wants to do in me and through me. But God purges us for the future. So purging is preparation for a bigger future. God is not content with us being little, insignificant, and unfruitful. God wants to be glorified in all of our lives. So he goes to work purging us. A second reason why God purges us, you find it in Matthew 13. And let me set this up. It's verse 22. There's a story of, that Jesus gave us of the parable of the sower and the seed. And he said, the sower goes out sowing the word of God and putting the seed in the ground. And he said, some seed fell by the wayside, some fell on rocky, stony places, some fell among thorns, and then some fell into good ground. This really is a picture of, of, of spiritual growth is what it is. But here's what he said. He said, there was seed that fell among thorns that began to grow. And it grew, and it became a mature plant, and, and it looked normal, and things looked good, but... The thorns choked it, and it became unfruitful. It's interesting wording. It grew, and it became a normal-looking plant, but over time, it became unfruitful because the thorns were choking it up. Here's what Jesus said. The thorns are the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches. What he said was, People get so caught up with this and with this and with this, and this is pulling me here and this is pulling me there, and we fail to prune our own lives and purge our own lives. And what happens is God says, if you don't get those things out of the way, you cannot be the fruitful person I've created you to be. 
He said, the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches tend to make us run off in a thousand directions and we never accomplish God's will for our lives. We're still believers, we're still planted, but our lives just aren't fruitful. Can I just say today, you know, I know some of you are called to business. Some of you are called to run businesses and have big businesses. Some of you are called to do smaller businesses. Some of you are called not to, to, to lead your own business, but to work in a business. Can I tell you that the almighty dollar is not the end of anything? And sometimes we get our hearts so wrapped around things that don't matter. Thank God for his blessings. But if all we're doing is chasing the dollar, sometimes we miss the big picture of what God's trying to do. Because the dollar can be so deceitful. Jesus called it the deceitfulness of riches. Chasing things that we think riches are going to bring to us. You know, when I was a kid, we moved to Northern California for a while. And we lived up in, in fruit country where there were a lot of fruit trees, a lot of nut trees. And we moved there in the summertime. And then when the fall came around, you know, we were able to kind of watch the process of, of what happens with those trees. And it was interesting, you know, I'd been up to visit my grandparents up there many times during the spring. And, you know, during the spring when you go there at Easter time, all the trees have got these flowers and buds out everywhere and they look beautiful. And then the leaves come out and they get really thick and they, they look so, so nice. And then the fruit pops up and in, in the heat of the summertime, they're picking all the fruit off the tree. And it's so cool to, to see all those fruit, all the fruit come out on those trees and when they pick it off. And then comes the fall. And the leaves start falling off the trees. And the trees have grown and, and they've reached a shape that isn't healthy for the future. And so the landowner comes in and begins to prune those trees. I remember in some of the orchards, the, the almond orchards. How many of you are from Northern Cal? Let me see your hands. A few of you from Northern Cal? I got one or two Giants fans, 49ers fans, okay. Okay. We got, we got a hand. If you're from Northern Cal and you're, you've been up in fruit country, they don't call them almonds, they call them almonds. There's a reason for that, but I don't have time to tell the story today, okay? We'll get to that some other time. But they had these almond orchards. And in the fall, when all the leaves fall off the trees, they had these machines that looked like helicopters. And they'd drive them down the rows between the trees, and these blades would go around, and it'd chop these trees off at the same height on top and prune them down. And then they'd come down the rows, and they would prune those trees back for a distinct purpose. You've done a good job, Mr. Tree, but next fall, we want to see you bear more fruit. So what are we going to do? We're going to remove some things that have become distractions to your life. See, one of the things that God does is he looks at us and says, it's great you've done this, but I want to see you do this. There's more for you. But in order to get there, this is taking too much of your time. This is taking too much of your attention. This is taking too much of your energy. This is taking too much of your money. You need to redirect your time, your attention, your emphasis, your money into these things of God rather than these other trivial things. For example, you know, when you're 39 years old and you're still playing video games nine hours a day, something's wrong. It's time to make an adjustment. Man, somebody said, ouch. Didn't mean to hit you, but it's true. It's true. As you mature, your energy goes in things for the future rather than just having a good time. Each new season brings increased potential. 
but it also demands more of us. So God purges things that interferes with his plans for our lives. I, I share this all the time. But I wanna, I wanna bring it up today because it's so important. Do you know how God wants to work in your life? He wants to work for you, he wants to work in you, and he wants to work through you. For you, to bless you, in you, to change you from the inside out, and then he wants to work through you to touch other people's lives. And we have to be open to God pruning us and purging us so we can become more effective in all those things. And then third of all, last of all, how does God purge us? How does God purge us? Three things I'm going to give you real quickly. Number one, the first way is God purges us by his word. I cannot tell you how often it happens to me that I'll be sitting there in the morning, having my morning coffee about daylight, reading my scripture, and all of a sudden something jumps off the page and God will say to me, you know what, you need to take, take heed of this, take it to heart. Because there's an area here where you've got too much time invested, too much money invested here, too much attention here. This is not a bad thing, but sometimes you get too much of this in your life and it's keeping you from doing more of this over here. It's amazing how the word of God will speak to you. It's amazing how the word of God will help clean up your life. I was reading this week, Ephesians 5, Paul's talking to husbands and wives. But in order to give husbands a picture of what a husband is, he uses the illustration of Jesus and his church. How many of you wives say, well, just go ahead and stay there about 30 minutes this morning. My husband needs to hear it. Jesus told, told the husband, he said, you need to love your wife the way Christ loved the church and laid down his life for it. But one of the things it says about Jesus and the church, it says that Jesus wants a spotless bride, a perfect bride. So he's washing her by the washing of the water of the word of God. One of the things the word of God does, it washes us. Some of you sitting here right now and didn't even know, but you're getting a bath. And God is using his word to get into some areas of your life and do some cleaning, getting into some quiet place. I went out in my garage this week, had a couple of hours. I went out there and started cleaning up the workbench area. It was a mess. Don't turn those lights out. I'm not done yet. <laughs> See, somebody's had enough of this already. I started cleaning out a workbench area, and I got back in the corner, there's a bunch of cobwebs, and I started yanking and pulling on cobwebs, and all of a sudden, out from behind the blinds comes this big black widow spider. How many of you know sometimes stuff gets hidden back in the corners that you forgot all about and you don't even know what's going on there? The water of the word will wash things out of our lives and expose things that we don't even know exist. But we need this word. Second thing, second way that God purges us is he purges us by his Holy Spirit. John 16, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. And in, in verse 13, he says, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Now listen closely to me. If, if the Holy Spirit is leading me into truth, he's leading me away from things that are not the truth. He's leading me away from deception and lies. And I know there are some people who believe that 
Once you get saved, the Holy Spirit never convicts you again. You know, I'm, I'm not going to make a theological thing out of this, but listen to me today. The Holy Spirit will always be involved trying to lead us into more truth and more truth. And if there are things in my life that are interfering with the truth, the Holy Spirit from time to time will put his finger on something and say, hey, this right here is dangerous. You need to be, you be, you need to be aware of this. There's a spider in the corner back here, and it's a dangerous one. You need to know it's here. That light of the Holy Spirit will expose things. And then it gives me an opportunity to respond to God and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll make adjustments in my life to get this thing straight. There are times when the Holy Spirit, everybody in, that, everybody in this building has had this happen. There are times when the Holy Spirit will just check your heart. And all of a sudden, I mean, it may be in prayer time. It may be out in the middle of the day when you're out somewhere with people. All of a sudden, you just feel a check inside. And you know there's something going on here that's not right that you need to back away from and get away from. It's not about legalism. God has a different plan for each of our lives. And there are some things that are going to distract you that don't distract me. God wants to deal with it. There are things that are going to distract me that won't distract you. God needs me to deal with it. And from time to time, the Holy Spirit will come in and put his finger on it and just convict me and say, you know what, this needs to move. And it becomes my responsibility to cooperate with God and let him work in purging my life. This is good preaching today. If you want to grow up in Christ, this will help you today. It will help you. It's amazing. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit can shine his light on things and say, this needs to go. So we got the word, we got the Holy Spirit, but there's one more way that God tends to, to purge our lives. I want you to read with me. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. I'm almost finished. I've got to run through these verses real fast and we'll, we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 12. You know, at the end of, of chapter 11 in Hebrews, it's talking about all these heroes of faith. And then it rolls into chapter 12 and it says that we need to lay aside every weight in the things that interfere with our growth in God so we can run the race that he set before each one of us. Then when you get down to verse 5, he begins to go into some detail. Notice what he says in Hebrews 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons how many of you know that god doesn't have any stepkids doesn't have nieces and nephews he only has children if you know god you're a child of god you're a son or you're a daughter that's us goes on to say my son do not despise the chastening of the lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him for whom the lord loves he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Think about that. Think about those words for a moment. If you refuse a chastening and say, no, God, you're not going to correct me. God says, if I can't correct her, you're not a child. You're not my child. You're in rebellion. You're living your own self-will, and you're missing the point. And it goes on in verse 9 and says, Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. In other words, his nature developed in us. 
Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There are times in seasons of resistance to God, when we're resisting God, in times of disobedience, times of rebellion, when God will sit us down and have a conversation and say, hey, you need to listen to me. You cannot keep running down this pathway. It's going to create problems for you. You're on a bad road. And he begins to try to correct us. Sometimes it's the word. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he just impresses it on us so strongly that we realize I am at a point in my life where there's a fork in the road and I'm either going to choose to get things straight and walk with God or I'm going to run off in my own direction and create a lot of problems for myself. And God begins to chasten us and he says, I've told you several times, I tried to purge this and you wouldn't deal with it. You wouldn't let me. And now you've run down this road. It's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And now you've got a habit controlling you. You've got a stronghold in your life. I need to change this. He says, I need to correct you. I need to correct you. And it just brings me face to face with my rebellion and my disobedience. And God says, you've been doing this for a while now. It's time to get it right. How many times do things come into our lives and we let it go and we let it go and we let it go? Maybe somebody offends you. Maybe somebody says something or maybe, maybe they didn't even know they did it. But yet you take offense to something and you carry it for days and weeks and months. But every time you pray, God pulls that person's face in front of you. Every time somebody speaks their name, you get all upset and you start thinking, kill them, God, kill them, God. They're bad to me. He's not going to answer that prayer, okay? Just you might as well quit it. Well, God at least let something bad happen to him. Nope, nope. Because it's not about them, it's about you. And then God sits us down and says, it's time for you to deal with this. Yeah, but God, you, God says, I don't want to hear it. Look at Jesus. He didn't deserve any of it, but he took it for your sake. You need to swallow hard, forgive, and move on. It happens. Chastisement is not about punishment. Chastisement is about correction. It's positioning me on a different path for a better future. God doesn't chastise me to punish me. He chastises me to get me off that wrong road, back on the right road, so he can bless my life and use me, so I can produce fruit in the future. That's why he chastises us. Now go on. Read on just a little bit further. Verse number 12. Therefore, based on all this, Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight level paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Now, what is he saying here? God is giving us a warning. He's saying, when I try to chastise you, when I try to correct you, I'm doing it for your good. I'm trying to get you on the right path of blessing and get you off the wrong path of cursing. And he says, here's what happens. Something's out of, out of strain. Something's not right here. You've got this pain going on inside of you. 
you're feeling this and you know something's not right and your, your hands are weary and your, your knees are feeble and you're wobbling along and things aren't going right, you need to fix it now because if you don't, it's going to dislocate a joint and it's going to permanently create major problems in your life. Several months ago, I pulled a hamstring, my left leg. I've never had a hamstring problem my whole life. Played ball my whole life, never had any problems. I, I pulled a hamstring one day and I hobbled around for two or three weeks and I, I kept playing golf and kept working around the house, kept lifting tables, you know, moving stuff around the house, doing things that shouldn't be doing. Finally went to the doctor, I said, what can I do about this? And he checked me out and he said, well, you've done this, 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 this. What you need to do is just sit around for like six weeks and not do anything and it'll start healing. And I thought, well, that ain't gonna happen. I play golf next week, man. So I just kept playing golf and kept playing golf and kept lifting stuff. And every time I would do this, I would re-injure that leg. I started doing this. I started walking weird because I had a strain. And then it wasn't long until my foot started giving me trouble. Come to find out it was all connected. And because I didn't get this healed, it began to affect things in my foot. And I'm fighting plantar fasciitis in my foot because it's tight all the way down, all the way to my toes. Listen to me. If I'd heeded counsel and sat down and rested for a few days, probably would have got well. But I'm a guy. I'm, I'm too hard-headed. I mean, you know, we, we don't read instructions. We just do it, you know. I know some of you ladies saying, preach it. My husband needs to hear that too. But here's the, here's the thing. If you don't correct what's wrong, you'll start walking with a limp. Before long, it'll dislocate something else. If you disobey the voice of God and you keep running around the road, down the road of disobedience and rebellion, other problems are coming. Get ready for it. It's not God's going to judge you for that. It's you're going to fall into your own trap of your own making and create a mess. And you get permanently injured. You know, you may not be happy with the current path of your life. And if that's the case, that, that might be a sign from God today that he has better plans for you and he's, he's trying to get your attention to correct some things and get you moving forward in the road of blessing, road of fruitfulness. So let me ask you, what's going on in your life today? I know I'm five minutes longer than usual, but please, I'm almost finished. Let me finish because this is so important. Somebody here needs this so much for the future. What's going on in your life today? Perhaps God's looking down the road trying to position you, but maybe you're stuck looking over your shoulder, living in the past, living in bondage to things you don't need to be in bondage to. Maybe today God's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, I need, I need to change some things. I need to reposition some things. I need to purge some things in your life and restructure some things. Purging always leads to a better future and more of God and his blessing in our lives. But God cannot purge us without our cooperation. Twofold prayer I want to pray today. I'm going to ask everybody here, bow your heads, close your eyes. Everybody just sit tight for a couple minutes. Unless it's an absolute emergency, just hang on because God's doing some things right now. I don't want to interfere what God is doing. Maybe you're here right now and maybe God's dealing with your heart. Maybe you've listened to this message and you're realizing, you know what? There's some things that I need to submit to God and release to God and get, th get some things squared away. 
Maybe God's trying to correct you right now because you're on a wrong pathway and you've really been fighting God, but maybe you're realizing now, I, I need to get this right. Or maybe there's just a little bit of tweaking that God's trying to do in your lifestyle. Maybe there's something that has become a little bit too important that needs to move. I want to pray for everybody in this house right now that whatever's going on, you'll, you'll see the purging hand of God and you'll not fight Him. You'll realize God's purging leads to a better future. Let me pray for you. Father, across this room right now, minister to your people. God, right now, let the Word of God work the way you intended it to work. Let the Holy Spirit accomplish His purposes in us. God, help us to submit to your purging so it will lead us into a better future. A future that's filled with your, your blessing and your fruit. Change us from the inside out. Work for us, work in us, work through us. God, let your will be done in us. God, whatever you're saying right now, we're going to go home and go to work on it today. We're not going to put it off to tomorrow. We're going to start today making the adjustments in our lives that you're trying to make and purging us. While heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, nobody's moving. Some of you are here today. You've sat and listened to this and you thought, you know what? All that makes sense except I'm not really a branch and I'm not really attached to the vine. I've never been in relationship with God. Maybe you've believed in Him, but you've never known Him. You've never been His child. You've never let Him be your Father. Maybe you've listened to this today and you're thinking, man, I wish I could get in on this. You can. As a matter of fact, if you're wanting to get in on this, that's because God's knocking on the door of your heart and He's just waiting for you to answer it and say, come in, God. Please come into my life. Maybe you're wondering, well, how do I do that? You do it with words. That's what we call prayer, words to God. You ask Him into your life. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now that will open the door to God. Let it be your words, and I'm going to ask everybody in the house, every single person, pray this right out loud. You don't have to yell it and scream it, but every person here, pray this prayer with me. It'll help you, and it'll help those around you. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, God, I need you. Come into my life. Fill me with your life. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I accept him as my Savior. I choose Jesus to become the Lord of my life. So I give my life back to you. Fill my life with your presence. From now on, you will be my father. I'll be your child because of Jesus. Thank you for receiving.